0: to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, and this is the place to find beautiful and broken companions for your everyday pilgrimage. Do you wonder if Christian faith can be truly lived in today's complex and changing world? Well, here you'll meet embodied witnesses, Christians from different eras and different cultures. They're people we sometimes call saints, but they were also sinners, just like you and me. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of W.E.B. Du Bois with Louisville Seminary President Alton B. Pollard III, and I'm happy that you're here with us. William Edward Burghardt Du Bois was born in 1868 into a relatively tolerant and integrated community in Western Massachusetts, where he was raised by his single mother and attended the local congregational church. The young Du Bois studied at Fisk University and completed graduate work at the University of Berlin and at Harvard, where he became the first African-American to earn a doctorate. And so began his lifetime of prodigious writing, sociological studies, essays, novels, poetry, political pamphlets, and more. When he died at the age of 95, W.E.B. Du Bois would be widely recognized as one of the most influential intellectuals in American history. Du Bois first witnessed virulent racism when he moved south to teach at Atlanta University. Forty years after emancipation, black people there were still being lynched by white mobs and enduring relentless displays of raw, primal prejudice, hatred, and contempt. Appalled by this racism, which he named a great red monster of cruel oppression, Du Bois determined to fight it with all the power of his intellect. What Du Bois saw was a question of race bound up with the dynamics of religion in America. He understood that the church was the basic rock of the African American community and history. So in 1903, he conducted the first major sociological research-based study of that church. Du Bois and his colleagues interviewed more than 1,000 young African-Americans about their religious beliefs, practices, and expectations. The result was the Negro Church, a portrait of a vibrant institution with a multitude of voices. But Du Bois was not content with academic analysis. He wanted the church to become a transformative powerhouse of social, racial, and economic uplift. He believed that ministers, with their power to instill moral fiber and encourage moral virtue, should take the lead. In 1903, Du Bois also published the founding work of Black protest in America called The Souls of Black Folk. Du Bois begins his landmark book with this profound observation. The problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line, the relation of the darker to the lighter races of men in Asia and Africa, in America and the islands of the sea. As he examines the strange meaning of being black here in the dawning of the 20th century, Du Bois asks the question, What kind of politics should African-Americans conduct to counter white supremacy? Marshaling his knowledge of history, sociology, and theology, Du Bois describes the malignant ideology that links race with God, in which whiteness is seen to be biblically endowed with the sacred, and blackness is associated with the devil. Wherever black people are portrayed as subhuman beings without souls, he says, whites have a psychological wage to subjugate people of color, to justify violence, and to legitimize injustice. Du Bois upends the assumptions of white supremacy. He insists that the poor downtrodden, the exploited, are the true children of God. Du Bois imagines a black God, a black Christ, and even a black female God. His religious voice was markedly different from the other African-American religious voices of his era. Du Bois described himself as agnostic or a free thinker. When asked to lead public worship, Du Bois refused. Yet, for all of his criticisms of the established church, It's been said that deep spiritual values undergirded Du Bois' political practice throughout his life, values expressed in his Credo, a declaration rooted in religious imagery. There, Du Bois calls for pride of race, peace, liberty, equal education, and patience. But impatient with academia, Du Bois became an activist. He toured the country, gave lectures, and pushed for protest. He debated other Black leaders, particularly his rival, Booker T. Washington, whose work toward racial equality demanded a slow, steady approach, too accommodating for Du Bois of the status quo. In 1905, Du Bois convened the Niagara Movement to combat the pervasive practice of lynching. He was one of the founders of the NAACP, the National Association for the Advancement of Color People. To the end of his long life, Du Bois was a fiercely independent, sensitive intellectual. Frustrated and restless after more than 50 years fighting for equality and civil rights in America, he traveled to Russia and to Africa and settled at last in Ghana. W.E.B. Du Bois died there on August 28, 1963, the day before the March on Washington, attended by more than 200,000 people, the largest demonstration for civil rights ever held. The man who for so many years had spoken with the loudest and most articulate voice was now silent as Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is the audio companion to my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners, 25 Christians Who Transformed My Faith. To learn more, visit my website, KarenWrightMarsh.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes, and invite your friends to join us. Now, for my conversation about W.E.B. Du Bois with Alton B. Pollard III. It is a great pleasure to welcome the Rev. Dr. Alton B. Pollard III to the Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast. Dr. Pollard is a national scholar, author, and speaker. He served the Academy as Religion and Culture Dean at Howard University and is Director of Black Church Studies and Chair of American Religious Cultures at Emory University. He is also an ordained Baptist minister who has pastored from Massachusetts to Tennessee. Dr. Pollard has combined his scholarly and pastoral skills since he's taken on the role of president of Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Alton, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation.
1: Thank you, Karen, for having me today.
0: Well, W.E. Du Bois is a towering figure in African-American and U.S. social, political, and intellectual life, and yet the actual content of his work and his thought are unfamiliar to many. What do you want people to know about him?
1: Karen, I want people to know that W.E.B. Du Bois is one of not only the most important figures in African-American history, he is one of the scaffolds of U.S. history. That his famous declaration that the problem of the 20th century is the problem of the color line, Yes. continues to plague us, continues to vex us well into the 21st century. And it was because of his studious recognition of this fact and ability to articulate it so concisely that I think we've been able to, if not wrestle well, at least wrestle with the implications of that, that fact as you know I, I went to uh, Fisk University and Fisk is the alma mater of WB Du Bois I remember so vividly taking the Greyhound bus from Minnesota to to Nashville uh, I was the first generation to go to college you know and so I arrive and I met at the bus station by student government leadership and they take my suitcase uh, from me my two suitcases, and they put a sticker on my uh, suitcase that said, Du Bois. Really? Said, Dubois. Yeah. And I said, Du Bois. I had no idea what they were doing. <laughs> and then when we got to campus, I realized that I was going to be living in Du Bois Hall. Oh. Yes. And
0: how, what did you know of him at the time?
1: Well, I knew already how brilliant he was because this is a little story from my own background, but my parents, even though they did not have- much of the benefit of formal education and all those kinds of things, uh, they knew how terribly important formal education was. And so our bookcases were lined with all kinds of heady things. Uh, The Souls of Black Folk was one of the books on, on the shelf. And I'm pretty sure my mother and father had not read many, if or if any, of those books, quite honestly. But they wanted to send a statement to their their children, and uh, so the souls of black folk. I treasure that book, but I didn't understand what I was reading. This was high school, and uh, when I got to college and had to read it as an assigned text of course at at Fisk, it took on a whole different kind of meaning for me and significance. And I I realized that I was walking in the the footsteps of of a giant, and I had a great responsibility. And so Du Bois really came to have that kind of a significance uh, for me. I, I read voraciously about his political philosophy, and I, I, I read about his social science purviews, and I came to understand that what I already knew innately, I knew that bl- Black people were brilliant, but I had not read where a scholar had talked about the brilliance of black people, because prior to coming to Fisk, um, I was not in classrooms that talked about black people.
0: Right, right. So
1: uh, here I was, and I'm reading, and and now I'm being exposed to an entire galaxy of black brilliance, and Du Bois is kind of leading the charge in in this way, and I knew that uh, I wanted to. Not only learn from him, but uh, potentially, in some small way, uh, follow in his footsteps. And I became a sociologist of religion. And enough of Du Bois sunk in for me to know that it was important to have a profound sense of self and to know that what you are learning is not for you yourself alone, but that it is to give back to the community of your origins, of your birth, and to make sure that you are doing so in ways that are going to be of the greatest benefit to the most people, even if you do live in a society, in a world that is not quite ready to accept and to receive. And uh, for him to model that in a day and a time when the world really was not ready, to me just spoke volumes about what the possibilities were if we continue to believe in the profundity of self and to recognize that racism was a uh, systems-driven process and not uh, simply one about uh, personal engagements or interactions.
0: Mm, Yeah. Well- Alton, I noticed that you've written a new introduction to the Negro Church, his 1903 study, and I think it's incredible that you've brought this book back to our attention. And and I was reading the the introduction that you wrote, and you said that his views on religion were critical, controversial, complementary, challenging, creative, and complex. Can you talk about that?
1: Yes, a lot of alliteration there, Karen.
0: I am impressed. (laughs) I I was looking forward to reading that quote because that is really good.
1: (laughs) Well, um, so, uh, you know, one of the beautiful things to me about Du Bois was that most people would not consider him to be a religious person. He was very committed to people of African descent, African-Americans, of course, but people of African descent the world over and was one of the founding persons of what became known as the Niagara Movement or the Pan-African Movement, which had its earliest conferences in London, 1900 and and uh, beyond. And in those early years, people of African descent from various parts of the world, uh, just a kind of a who's who of, of the Black, world, in the Black world, in the largest, widest sense, a gathering for this. And there was a sense that to be faithful meant that it was not so much about the form of organized religion you professed, but it was more about what are you doing for the people who gave rise to you, and how are you preparing them for uh, the coming of a new world in the midst of a world that does not seem to at all be cognizant of the same. And to me, this is a, this is a different kind of faithfulness that is yet and still very, I think, uh, very religious. And for Du Bois, it, it was very much that. And uh, on the one hand, he never put down the Negro church. He said that it was terribly important. He believed that a prophetic leader would arise from its midst who would lead us into the new next half century. And of course, that turned out to be Martin Luther King uh, for him. But he also was aware that organized religion, whether it's Christian or or otherwise, um, has its uh, deficiencies, as does any form of organization. And so he was very critical of, of that, but wanted Black people in particular, and all people as a whole, to make sure that your that your moral life, that the moral fiber of your being, is consistent with um, your public practices, and and not only consistent with them, but that you actually believe deeply enough in the in human community that you will enact uh, this in public policy and uh, the like. And and Du Bois, as a result, became quite controversial in his aversion to being in churches for the most part, but uh, continuing to affirm uh, that there was something sacred about the gift of Black people, as uh, as he called it. So this was the person that I came to have great respect and admiration for. Because he lived to a lengthy age, he wrote three autobiographies, and he went through a series of sea changes with each one so that intellectually uh, he was at a different place throughout early in his career, believing that uh, the philosophy of the talented tenth, that if you raise up uh, the best and the brightest in your communities of African descent, that they would be able to carry the day against the struggles of racism. Moving from that in a next iteration of his life to understanding of the importance of socialism as a philosophical possibility. And in the last stage of his life, moving to a place where um, he had left, as you know, the United States and lived in Ghana. I think he was exasperated at that point about the possibility of of authentic democratic freedoms really being practiced in the United States. And I've always taken it as a, a watchword that literally on the eve of um, the March on Washington in 1963, he passed away. It was as if um, a baton had been passed. And uh, the March on Washington really, I think, did demonstrate in new and palpable ways that freedom is not easily gained, and it is certainly not something permanently won, but it is altogether possible.
0: Mm. It's, it's so poignant to me. I read recently about his last days and that reference to he died on the eve of a march on Washington, but literally on the eve of a march on Washington. So incredibly, there's something so deep about that. And what a person of integrity, you know, to be able to be a person who changed his mind, you know, yes. who lived for a century and saw so many things. And I can't help but ask and wonder, what you think he would make of us now. I mean, what did he see then that, that has proven true today?
1: Well, I think one of the things, Karen, that he would, he would say is how magnificent it is that the movement that we're witnessing at the moment is um, on the one hand deeply grounded in the Black ethos and on the other is so deeply grounded that it has invited into itself the broader community of humankind. And so it is a movement not of hundreds or thousands, but has literally been of millions across the globe in one country after another, espousing the cause of Black Lives Matters, but also affirming the humanity of Marginalized, dispossessed, or in the language of Thurman, disinherited peoples, and I think he would be deeply uh, pleased with that because Du Bois was such a citizen of the world. And um, to me, this was his—if I—if I may use the uh, theological language—this was his ecumenicity. This was his oikumene. He was—he was, he was a, a world citizen, and he believed in the power of our human community, but we kept allowing our organizations and we kept allowing our structures and we kept allowing our artifices to get in the way of our greater capacities. And um, I'm so very thankful that he used that great gray matter of his to to kindle my imagination. And uh, I uh, continue to... The, the Negro church, I should I should mention, yeah, I, talk I, about I, that. I, I I wanted to republish it because, well, first of all, very few people know that this edition was entirely uh, reformatted. We had to retype the entire manuscript because it was originally printed in, I think, eight font, very small, so it was, it was very difficult to read, and it was hard to find uh, as well because uh it was just not a book that got much attention and so uh with the support of several of my research assistants while I was at uh candler we literally retyped the entire manuscript it took us about 3 years oh,
0: that's a gift of love right there
1: well it, he um you know he he meant that much uh, to to me and particularly because I wanted to, again, be able to stress that the sacred is not limited to our particular definitions of church or organized religion. And I thought that he expressed a faithfulness, fidelity, if you will, to his belief in us in ways that I was only beginning to scratch the surface. So...
0: Well, thank you for that gift to the rest of us and for this conversation about uh, the amazing W.E. Du Bois. I've learned so much from you and so thankful that uh, he was there for you to be your kind of spiritual and scholarly mentor and inspiration.
1: Thank you, Karen.
0: The name W.E.B. Du Bois was familiar to me from history books, but until this conversation with Alton Pollard, I had not really known of Du Bois' passionate conviction, his deep intellectual powers, his lifelong commitment to justice. How poignant that he died only hours before Dr. King would take up the torch, a new leader for a new era. May the very best of Du Bois' legacy live on today. I'm Karen Wright Marsh, the Executive Director of Theological Horizons, a ministry based in Charlottesville at the University of Virginia. I'd love to hear from you. Come by my website, KarenWrightMarsh.com. There you'll find show notes and learn about my book, Vintage Saints and Sinners. Download free printable study guides for your small group or just for yourself and keep the conversation going. Thanks to the generosity of the Lloyd and Vivian Noble Foundation and to the Friends of Theological Horizons. The Vintage Saints and Sinners podcast is produced by Gabriel Hunter Chang. Our music is by Will Marsh of Gold Connections.